Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Cavalry Audio. I'm Clint Emerson, and welcome to season two of Can You Survive This Podcast, where the interview is just as dangerous as the scenarios I put my guests through. From hostage situations to natural disasters, carjackings, active shooters, and more, if you're looking for the skills necessary to survive these situations, then this is the show for you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Can You Survive? This podcast, where the interviews are just as dangerous as the scenario I put my victims through. Today, we have a nationally recognized weapons and tactics instructor. He serves as president of Trident Concepts, LLC, and director of training for The Range in Austin, Texas. His background, obviously, comes from Naval Special Warfare, where he served as a decorated and respected operator and instructor. Today, we have Jeff Gonzalez. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. How about you? Awesome. I'm good. How is it in uh, in Austin these days? It's like California, right? A little bit. We get that a lot. We get <laughs> yeah, that a lot. Yeah. It's actually, we've seen some pretty interesting changes on the horizon. So I, I, I try to influence people into thinking that, you know, if we can make these changes happen here in Austin, then they can happen elsewhere in the country. So just right. saying. Yeah, I think, uh, I think we're going to end up talking about that here in a couple of minutes. But before we get totally into this, I've got a little rapid fire. This is just fun. It's a way of warming up. I'm going to throw some options at you. You pick one and then we'll circle back around. You get to explain kind of your answers. Sound fair? Got it. All right, here we go. Nine millimeter or 45? Nine mil. Glock or SIG? SIG. Licensed concealed carry or constitutional carry? LTC. That's licensed, right? Yeah, sorry. License. Okay. Tim Kennedy or Jocko? I'm going to go with Tim because I stand a greater chance of getting beat up by him more regularly than I do with Jocko. <laughs> That's what I figured. All right. We'll, we'll circle back around to that. Invader coffee or black rifle coffee? Ooh. I know. That's another harsh one, man. Put me up against the ropes so early. Well, they're both good friends of mine. uh, So it's like, but um, Black Rifle has been really helping us out a lot. So I'm going to go with Evan and what we've got going on in the back burner. All right. Um, Iraq or Afghanistan? Afghanistan. The UFC or the NFL? UFC. 
Paper or metal? Paper. Row or run? Row. <laughs> Appendix or other? Other. All right. Okay, so that's your uh, 10 rapid fires. Let's circle back around. Okay, we went 9 millimeter or 45. Mm-hmm. So you went with uh, nine mil. Correct. Yeah. What's the, what's the why? Cause they're, it's cheap, readily available and you can still get it from your buddies. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think it boils down to, um, you know, back in the Navy when, you know, we were doing our thing, it boiled down to, you know, how many BBs could you carry? Yeah. And so if I can choose to carry a magazine of 15 rounds versus a magazine of eight, I'd much rather have 15. And we've also right. learned, in you know today's modern technology of ammo is concerned you know the, the difference between 940 and 45 is so marginal that it really boils down to how good of a shot are you if you're not a good right. shot with either of them it doesn't really matter so i like the nine it seems to do everything i need it to do and uh, has done for, for many decades now Right. Yeah, I totally agree. The, the, the ammunition is uh, chosen a lot of times in our world based on what is it I'm doing. That's number one. But sure. second to that is, like you said, bullet placement. You know, a 22 kills people just as much and just as often as a 9 mil 45 or anything else. Correct. Um, okay, we went with uh, next was Glock or SIG. SIG, so give us your why. So... You know, obviously, starting off in the Navy, uh, you know, funny story is that when I actually uh, got to BUDS, we still had the Berettas. So I went through BUDS. I was like one of the last classes that had the Beretta issued. And then when I got to the teams, I got issued the 226. So, you know, spent a lot of time on that particular platform. As I left the Navy and started working, there were several opportunities for me to work with different guns. Glock was one of them. And, uh, you know, I don't really have anything bad to say about them. They're good firearms, but once SIG got into the striker fired market, they really started to bring the heat. And, you know, I'm a big fan of the 320s. I love the 365s. You know, I just came back from a conference where we focused on concealed carry and predominantly of all the subcompact pistols that were out on our firing line. Um, overwhelmingly, the majority was the P365. So, or it's a big brother, the XL. So I've been pretty yeah. happy with them. You know, it's funny too, because, you know, in a couple of days, I'm going to be leaving to go up to New Hampshire. I'll be up at the SIG Academy teaching a class uh, this weekend. So, you know, I've done a lot of things with, with that company. I see them, you know, as far as a firearms manufacturer is concerned, they really are also, I, I consider them to be more of an advocate for our, for what we do and, 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 and their engagement with the community. You know, they're very much um, kind of like, out there in the community doing things, a variety of everything, whether it's charitable events or whether it's working with law enforcement or whether it's bringing people together for some sort of, you know, consortium, they're, they're actually out there doing it. Yeah, I agree, man. SIG has come a long ways. Uh, And not to mention when I was up there and uh, checking out their manufacturing, it's important people know that though it's got the, uh, you know, the overseas flavor and the name of their company, Sig Sauer, every single mm-hmm. one of those weapons is manufactured in the United States, right there in New Hampshire. And their CEO is a pipe hitter. Like he oh, is yeah. a former Israeli badass running the show. And uh, so, yeah, I put my money on Sig any day of the week. For sure. <clears throat> okay. For sure. 
you ch- yeah, you picked, hey, conceal carry license over constitutional carry. And it, the reason I threw this out there is, uh, you know, but for the listeners, the state of Texas just uh, uh, September 1st approved constitutional carry, meaning if you're 21 years or older and you don't have any felonies or anything haunting you, then you can go to a store, you can buy your gun and obviously start carrying it concealed uh, that day or the day that you mm-hmm. actually get the gun. Whereas what we were prior is licensed, meaning right. you had to go and take a, uh, a couple of day course, shoot some paper, and then, uh, then you can conceal carry that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your thoughts on that? Well, so first of all, I feel like, you know, if you have to ask permission, it's really not a right. So, um, I fully support constitutional carry. I just never, I, I, I disagree with the fact that we ever actually had to go down that road to to become constitutional carry. I feel like it should have never been an issue. We should have never had that. However, the, the fact remains that there are still a lot of people like, so now people here in the state of Texas understand signages because there are certain signages that prohibit you from entering certain locations, uh, 30 odd six, 30 odd seven. Those are like concealed carry open carry. Um, but a new one is 30 odd five, which relates to constitutional carry. So some, places now restrict you from going into them because they view the fact that you have no training or no experience as a detriment to the public safety or something along those lines. And as a result, they, they, they banned you from going into those facilities. So I'm, I'm disappointed in that because I don't feel again, that that should have been an issue. Uh, You know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not something that I feel like needs to be governed. It's like you said, you go, you get it, you do the thing. If you're responsible, hopefully you will, educate yourself and better yourself, but it's not a requirement. It shouldn't be a requirement. It wasn't a requirement in the constitution. It shouldn't be a requirement here, but it is. So if you have an LTC, even though, um, you know, even though it's an extra step and even though you have to go through the, the rigmarole of getting it and all the other business, you're no longer subject to that. You can do, you can pretty much, if you could carry in there concealed with a license, then you're good. But another, yeah. another, another interesting component to this is the fact that if you travel, so you and I, we travel all over the country and the world and all this other jazz. So what happens is in the country here in the U S there's what's called reciprocity, which means that if I, if I'm traveling to a state that has negotiated with my state to recognize my license to carry and allow me to carry in their state, that's what's called reciprocity. So if you don't, go down the road of getting an LTC and you travel outside of your state, you may or may not be able to carry in the state that you're visiting. So having an LTC is a nice, you know, added benefit of being able to travel. And I think the other thing, and this actually has a lot of merit in our current state of affairs, is if you have the license to carry, you had to go through a background check, meaning that if you had any any felonies or whatnot, that would pop up and you would be denied your LTC. When you have the LTC and you go into the store to purchase a firearm, all you need to do is present your LTC card and you no longer have to go through the background check because it's implied that if your LTC is valid, you already went through the background check. Why is that important? Because during this pandemic, I saw it firsthand where people were coming in to buy a firearm and, you know, there are some, there are, there was, you know, when the, when the system got backed up from the millions of people that were buying firearms, it shut down. I don't, people don't realize this, but 
the Nixus, actually, you couldn't call in anymore and couldn't get any confirmation whether or not you were good to go or not. So people were having to wait to get their firearm because they couldn't, the, the federal check that has to be required for every purchase, that system broke during the pandemic. It was so overwhelmed with the volume of buyers. But if you had an LTC, you could circumvent that completely and just walk in and walk out. And I saw a lot of people that had um, a disappointing or frustrated time period because they were, they were in desperate need to get a firearm and they couldn't because there was about a seven to 10 day wait sometimes trying to get through to Nixus to, to try to get the confirmation back. And so, you know, people were like, I want it now. And we're like, well, it's a federal law that you have to wait until we can get confirmation. And until we do, we can't sell you the gun. I mean, we can sell it to you, but you can't leave it here with it. So yeah, that was frustrating for a lot of people. So another little known fact that an LTC kind of brings to the table that people don't realize is that they can bypass that because it's implied that if you have an LTC, you've already demonstrated that you have, that you've met the requirement for the background check. Right. Yeah. I'm with you. I think it's never a bad thing to get training, right? And mm. LTC oh. is training. That's it. It's like, why wouldn't sure. you want to know your left and right flanks when you're carrying a gun concealed? Um, yeah. But another interesting tidbit, since you brought that up too, was when I spoke to a lot of the um, newer gun owners during this time period, their biggest aversion, if you will, to carrying concealed was that they didn't know or understand the law. Yeah. The LTC program does a great job, even if it's a surface scan, of at least providing you the information that is relevant to carrying a firearm, deadly force, use of deadly force, that whole bag, all that stuff is covered in the LTC course. So many of them yeah. were relieved that that information was available to them when they went to get their LTC. So another little yeah. benefit there. At the end of the day, if you pull the trigger right or wrong, you're going to jail that night. That's just <laughs> <laughs> you're definitely going. You definitely going. Yeah, you, that was your worst day. Welcome to the rest of your life. Yeah, exactly. You're listening to Can You Survive This Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and share on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. Okay, so then we went uh, Tim Kennedy, Jocko. Of course, you picked Tim. He lives in Austin. I know that I, I put you in that position because uh, yeah, you did. <laughs> you're, you're hanging out with him on a regular basis. And, uh, sure, and this is true. You, you're picking between an Army and a Navy guy. So I was just really seeing where your allegiance was. Now we know. So oh, we I on. knew that was coming too. I knew that was coming. <laughs> I knew that. You know, well, I mean, Leif isn't too far around here. If you'd picked Leif, maybe I could have gone with Leif because he's like yeah. he's maybe he's about maybe – 15 minutes further away than Tim is. Um, oh, yeah. So I could have done that. I could have gone there. But, you know, I mean, Jack was still in the Communist Republic. I don't know. You know I'm questioning <laughs> what his thoughts are there. You know, he's like, mm. yeah. he hasn't moved to freedom yet. So I'm still That's kind of okay. like, yeah. Yeah. There's enough. There's enough of, there's enough of California and Texas. We don't need any more. This um, is true. <clears throat> okay. Invader Coffee, Black Rifle. Of course, that was yeah. another ambush because yes, Wes is a mutual friend. Wes, who so had true. on the show, he uh, is Invader Coffee. I know you're hanging out with him too, but yeah, For uh, sure. Black Rifle, obviously. Uh, yeah, that's a tough, that was I, a tough one. It was a tough one. And Evan and I go all the way back to Afghanistan. Um, and, you know, Wes and I have been 
good friends and I've got, um, you know, but I mean, he is, he is a go-to. I literally drive by his shop almost every day. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's a great guy. I love the brand. I love how he represents it. Uh, you know, Evan and I have been working on some, some stuff behind the, the scenes of sorts. And I'm excited to try to get that rolled out, but you know, so, and awesome. you know, they, they are, they are also just down the road from us in San Antonio. So really kind of put the screws to me on that one. That one was a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to give Evan some shit for that one. I'm like, and you know, definitely now is the time. Now is the time. Yeah. And, uh, and once again, you're a Navy SEAL sighting with an army company. Got it. Okay. So now we go with Iraq or <laughs> go with Iraq or Afghanistan. Uh, well, uh, you I never got a chance to get to Iraq. Yeah. yeah. I never got a chance to get to Iraq. Um, oh, I okay. was slated to go. Yeah. I was slated to go. And um, some some crazy stuff happened, and I ended up um, going back to Afghanistan. So I spent a good amount of my time there. Um, you know, it was disappointing that I didn't get to get to, to Iraq. I, I felt like you know that mm, maybe there was some value that I could have gained from my time there. But you know, as the way the the cards were dealt to me, it was just Afghanistan. I spent you know four or five years going back and forth from from here to there. So yeah. enjoyed my time there. You know, it's certainly was disappointing to see the uh just the for lack of a better term the shit show that happened as uh, as we tried to withdraw out of that country it just was so such a god i mean i can't you know everybody said it already i don't need to beat the dead horse any more than it already has been but that was that kind of hit home personally to me because there was so much time and energy that we put into that place to try to everybody knew that this was never going to be a permanency no other you know, in, in our history as a military fighting force, we've never occupied this a place permanently. It's always been an effort to empower them to take over and do their thing. Yeah, it just you know it would have been it would have been nice to have seen it happen in a much more, I think, professional as well as political manner. The way that I mean, we have pissed off every ally that we have there that we've had that have come to our aid in times of need because of how we left everybody hanging. It just was such a joke. I mean, Oh God, I can go on and on and on. I'm sure nobody wants to hear about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just always say like, well, we, sh we, we certainly ripped the bandaid off and we just got mm. it over with. And it was a, yeah, blood squirting out. It may not have been healed yet, and it was a big fucking mess. But uh, yeah, we definitely ripped the bandaid off. <laughs> good analogy. That is a yeah. good analogy. For um, sure. Yeah, and then we went uh, UFC, NFL, UFC. That, that's usually a winner for most people. I think uh, people are. I don't know if they're it's, NFL. I, I enjoy football. I, I like the fact sure. that the Dallas, Dallas Cowboys are actually seems like they're coming around this year. But right, the NFL overall, man, like. Like, what was it I heard recently with this whole, like, they're not going to play the national anthem. They're going to do some substitute shit to prevent they're, they're all They're playing the... two of them now. They're playing, a, a, they're playing the national anthem, and they're playing some other black national anthem. And they oh. did it this weekend. And I think, you know, the problem is, is, like, I think Mr. Miyagi said it best. You know, you walk in the middle of the street, you're going to get crushed like a grape. And I see big corporations like the NFL doing that. They're trying to appease everybody and you're not, you, you can't, you're not going to appease everybody. Yeah. I mean, look at college football over the last two weekends at what has transpired in the college football stadiums. It's, it's like 
it's a breath of fresh air. You see all those folks that are out there. They are living life. They're enjoying the game. They're rooting for their team. There's none of that crazy political correctness or wokeism there. It's just straight up just American freaking, you know, it's college football, but it's American football in a sense. You know, they're out there doing the business. So the NFL has certainly disappointed us all. And it's too bad because, I mean, geez, you know, it's been, I think, like two or three years that I actually haven't sat and watched a full from start to finish game. I might poke my head in and watch something, couple, maybe catch a quarter or two here. But just as soon as I hear or see something that I deem to be stupid, I'm like, that's it. I'm done. I give them the benefit of the doubt here and there. And I just kind of walk away. So it's disappointing. But, you know, then you have the UFC. You have Dana White and you have. You know, I mean, first of all, he's brilliant in how he approached the pandemic and trying to keep the fans engaged and keep people coming or not coming, but keep people watching the, you know, the fights. And, you know, I think the UFC has come such a long way. In fact, I'm, I mean, I, I, I've been to only two live events. 100 was the, the big kind of like deal at the time because it was like 100 fights. This is amazing. They yeah, made such a milestone, right? And now, now we're like crazy where they've gone. <laughs> but I appreciate the fact that, you know, He's just, you know, he's like, he's never going to, he's never going to bow down to the, the pressure from the minority to try to influence political correctness, wokeism, any of that stuff. He's going to do what he thinks is the best thing for his company, which is to not piss off the majority of his audience who are die in the wool conservatives that want to see things go the way that they've always gone, you know? So he's smart enough. Yeah. I, I believe he also believes it. But he's also smart enough not to piss them off. You know, you look at, I can't believe the NFL would 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 make such a, like what I consider to be a rookie mistake. Like, don't you have anybody in your boardrooms that can speak with some sort of like clarity and say, hey, why would we piss off the, the you know, why would we piss off the breadwinners that come to our, that spend money at our games and our, and our stadiums and our concessions and our season ticket holders. Why are we pissing them off? Yeah. I don't know. Seems, well, it seems always, simple to me, but yeah, I've, I've rationalized it in a much more simpler context, right? The minute you go political, you've lost 50% of the money that you could potentially have made. Right. Right. There you go. For sure. So why, why even go down the path? And plus, I also respect commitment. If you have been doing something for, you know, how many ever years and you've committed to that, whether it's a national anthem or, you know, just, you know, there, you're, there's, you're not going to be in the wrong for sticking with it if that's what you've been doing for, you know, decades at this point. It's just crazy to me. But Anyway, yeah, sure. we, I didn't want to get into that, but yeah, UFC fighting or, uh, you know, <laughs> helmets and pads. Okay, fighting, yes, I'll pick that one too. Fighting, definitely fighting. <laughs> All right, paper metal, you pick paper. Correct. I, I will assume that you are referencing shooting and – Yeah. Which I prefer. I mean, I love banging steel. There's nothing there, There's nothing quite like it. But from a, um, from a development point of view, you know, being able to – to put rounds on paper within a certain standard of accuracy within a certain time component. I mean, you can do that on steel, but depending on the size of the steel, you may not really push the envelope. You know, I started, um, you know, we started off like my very first shooting school was down there at mid South. And I had, you know, the legend himself over my shoulder, you know, harping on me to, to do the things that I needed to do. So, 
I, I mean, I started my shooting career in the Disneyland of shooting meccas. Oh, yeah. you know, I mean, the frick, I mean, you can't, there's so much that you could do in that place. And, and it definitely made me, it, it, it definitely created the foundation for the shooter that I am today, but I, I still put such a heavy emphasis on being able to shoot paper and shoot it well you know, whether it's shooting bullseyes or whether it's shooting silhouettes, you know, I, I like the targets that we get into this discussion a lot with other people, like the paper targets that we have are a silhouette with a human photograph basically. And it has a face that has eyes that look out at you. And mm. my biggest thing, and we learned this from day one is the, you know, the, the inoculation, if you will, to shooting and killing another human, that that's not an easy transition. It takes time and it, it, you have to work through that process. So seeing, uh, you know, something that doesn't have a set of eyes that's not looking back at you, to me, is not adequately preparing you for the real scenario that you may be called upon to, to use your skills for. So I like that, I, you know, whether it's bullseyes or whether it's a silhouette, you know, a facial kind of thing, contact, there's that intimacy that helps you to kind of like get over that hump and, and get accustomed to, to seeing people and being able to draw a bead on where the target zones are on people you know it's not like it's not always going to be easy like a, that a rose is with a bullseye though there was a funny story about a bullseye i try to i try to get um try to get the the group to okay you know like a t-shirt with a big smiley face in the front you know right yeah. here bright yeah, yellow mass. smiley face yeah. right here and they wouldn't they wouldn't <laughs> approve it to, to be airdropped throughout the countryside we knew what was happening anything got airdropped went right to the taliban you know and no matter if we wanted yeah. to get it to the villagers they came and scarfed all that shit up so i could just envision you know maybe them wearing <laughs> those shirts with that bright yellow face right here make it real easy yeah it just it, it kind of got got shot down got shot down Instead, they're wearing multicam and uh, you know body armor. <laughs> they're wearing you know six hundred dollar cry pants, you know cry pants and shirts and armor. Yeah, shit, so. yeah, they're yeah. they're definitely hooked up now. I'm like, damn, I wish I had that loadout. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh my god. Oh shit. Um, okay. Yeah, run or row. Yeah, you pick row. Oh man, dude. You know, not a runner. Don't like running. Not anymore. I mean, it's like yeah. back in the day. Hell yeah, man. That's all we did. But, um, you know, in these days, it's funny because I say to, to I say to people, you know, they, the only reason why you will catch me running is if somebody's running after me. And, and that's about yeah. the only reason that yeah. I'm going to really run. Otherwise, I'm, I run short distances now, like 100, 200, 400, 800 minute kind of things. But yeah. the rower has been such a game changer for me. You know, I can row indoors regardless of what the weather is like, though I do miss kind of running in the elements. That's kind of like a, another thing that we came you know, face yeah, to face with it, whether yeah. it was whether it was the heat of the desert or the you know the cold of the you know the beach, whatever it was, it was good to be out in that kind of condition, kind of help harden you a little bit, remind you of the elements. But yeah. the rower has been nice. It's been easier on my my body. Um, you know, I can still put the same intensity that I would trying to run without the same level of kind of I don't want to say damage, but just the wear and tear. You know, I mean, right. we're high mileage athletes we've got a lot of miles under our, under the hood and, you know, stuff starting to break or just, you know, the warranties expired. <laughs> so, you <laughs> yeah, know, it's no like kidding. getting, yeah. getting kind of a, getting kind of tough in that sense. Right. 
Well, yeah, I, I personally, I, the row, God, I get so bored on a row machine. I really do. <laughs> you know, and I'll even crank it up, you know, put it at 10 and sit here sure. and do all this different kind of really the, really where it all was born and bred was CrossFit. We all know that. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, nobody yeah. knew what a rower was until CrossFit came around and for sure now, it, but I, yeah, it drives me nuts. Like I, I'll always pick a run over rowing if, if the, if the option is there, even though I know rowing burns more calories and it's easier on the joints and there's all this great stuff, but there is nothing like going for a run for me personally. Um, no, okay. I hear you. And I do, yeah. I do like, I do enjoy that. Just like put it in the miles that I used to put in and do on, you know, all of that just kind of nowadays, if I'm running, I might run like, I, I might run for like, um, I might train up for Murph. If I'm going to do Murph. Oh yeah. I'll train up for it. So I'll put a little time on the road to get ready for it. So I'm not totally smashed by it. Um, <laughs> yeah. and if I'm doing, I'm training up for yeah, right. If I'm training up for other stuff. Maybe I'll put some running in, but you know, the, the rower has just been kind of like my go-to. Um, yeah. For now, I see your you workouts. Know, it, the reason I threw it in there is because of that. I see you put your, uh, time lapse, you know, you're, you're, or you used yeah. to, I don't know if you're still doing it. Yeah. But, um, yeah. The, yeah. The, you, you put it in like fast motion, your workout for the day. Just so that it um, looks like I'm really doing good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally get it. Fast. Yeah. yeah slow-mo. Take it from me. Like I have all these slow-mo videos that shows every fucking flaw that every troll likes to point out. Right. <laughs> this 1500 frame per second camera they used. And every time I'm doing a draw stroke with whether it's a knife or a gun, or you know with the combat edition videos i'm yeah. always i can't even look at the comments because people are like oh your finger was you know wasn't on the rail oh, and this and that or, you know it's, it's so just true. like yeah so yeah i think you're smart with doing the fast because then you can't no one can <laughs> no one can critique your technique or oh your hands were behind your knees when you were right? coming forward on the row machine in bad form bad form with that snatch <laughs> no that was terrible 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 yes, why are you putting fucking... that up there for people to see yeah, so I do slow motion so I can catch all the shit on the planet. We will be right back after the break. Yeah, and then appendix or other. You know, so initially when right. I kind of put that one together, you know, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock. And as you know, I went around the country and talked to a lot of very seasoned guys like you. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it really boiled down to 50-50. Boiled down to... Uh, you know, so for some guys, it's because of, you know, genetics, how they, how they are designed. And, sure. um, for others, it was, you know, there was more tactical reasons, you know, but all of them had great reasoning for where and why they carry a gun. So what are your thoughts sure. on it? Well, I mean, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, you got to define your, define your needs, define your mission. You know, like we, we talk about this from a perspective of, everyday carry. You hear that term thrown yeah. around everyday carry. Oh, yeah. And we define everyday carry as 80% of the year. All right. So if you were to take 365 days, 80% of that's roughly about 295 days. So for 295 days, you're carrying a firearm. And then in a 24 hour period, 80% of that is, you know, 16 waking hours, that would be 12 hours in the day for 295 yeah. days you're carrying. Right. Yeah. So I know where you're going like, with that this. really puts things in perspective. <laughs> So our guys really carrying for that duration for the entire year, you know, that's a, that's a, that's asking a lot. That's a big commitment. And the reality is that, you know, life gets in the way you got, you know, you may work in a environment that is a prohibitive establishment. You can't bring your gun in there. Right. Yeah. Or you might, 
uh, work in an environment that it requires certain attire, like business suits or scrubs, you know? So carrying a firearm is one of these things that I recommend people take, you know, a little bit broader perspective on. Like if I want to get 200, if I want to get to that 80%, maybe 50% of it is going to be on my hip, whether it's appendix or strong side, whatever, maybe 50% of the time I can get away with that. But if I want to carry a gun, the other 50%, I'm going to have to explore some other options, you know, pocket holsters, ankle holsters, deep cover kind of holsters. I mean, you know, those are things that people don't think about a lot. And, you know, it's ironic that we're talking about this because I just came back from that conference where that was the kind of like the essence of it is like getting people to carry more regularly, like on a, mm. on a consistent basis. Yeah. And a lot of the, a lot of the obstacles are, well, you know, I have to wear this, whatever this is, or, you know, I'm, I'm running the risk of carrying in my workplace because it's prohibitive, in which case it's like, well, maybe you don't want to do it, but maybe you, if you do do it, you've got to go deep, deep concealment in order to get away with it. You know, you have to sort of think about this. So, you know, and of course, everything comes with a pro and a con. You get into yeah. some of these alternative methods of carrying and they're slower as far as your access is concerned. But then you also can get to some of these scenarios where the individual wouldn't have been able to carry a gun had they not been able to work a pocket or an ankle holster. And so while the draw stroke might be slower, the rule, the first rule of a gunfight is to have a gun. And so if yeah. they can only carry it on an ankle holster, yeah, it's slower, but at least they have it. And that that's, that's kind of like the emphasis that I put in the EDC mindset is, all right, so just play along with me and just think about it from this perspective. Are there times when your go-to blaster is not going to be reasonable? You can't get away with shoving it inside of a business suit or, you, you know, you go to a wedding or, a, you know, like a funeral, like, you know, you were wearing something, you're wearing a monkey suit of sorts. And how, how, do you, how are you going to carry it? How are you going to protect yourself or your family if you, your only gun that, you're, that is your go-to gun you can't take with you because it just doesn't fit into yeah. the wardrobe or the attire that you've got. So I like that. I mean, I think, I think it's important that you have options and that you, you have your go-to and then from there you keep, you know, you kind of keep your options open and you play with other, uh, you know, other ideas. And I think the, our industry in particular can be kind of like very, very kind of like narrow minded, you know, they'll, they'll see something, yeah. they'll see, they'll see me or you doing something and they're just going to be like a hundred percent committed. That's it. I can only do it this way because that's how they do it. And I'm like, take it easy. All right. There's good reasonings why Clint and I do the things that we do. You know, we put a lot of thought, we got a lot of experience and there's, there's a method to the madness for, yeah. for these people. I want you to understand the why so that you can more clearly define your why and then come up with your own solution. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. It's, uh, I've changed, I've evolved, right. When I was in, uh, I stood up, you know, a three month, um, course that you may or may not have gone through that was kind of like had concealed carry the whole time the guys were in mm -hmm. it, right. You're wearing civilian clothes, you're getting taught, uh, concealed carry up front. We had DA approval all up and down the West coast. So our guys could carry for the course, no matter where they were on the West coast and also on the East coast and East coast was obviously a lot easier, Virginia, yeah. <laughs> but, yes. um, but in California we had to go through, you know, every DA's office to get that approved. And then, uh, you know, we were teaching it and 
when I was teaching concealed carry then compared to now my thoughts on it's totally changed. Cause mm-hmm. you know, you only know what you know at the time and that's what you go with. And, mm-hmm. uh, so then I started, you know, then I started deploying a lot and it was, you know, by myself. Uh, and then that's when the flexibility kicked in because then you're like, well, wait a minute, you know, uh, whether it's the hotels I'm forced to stay at had metal detectors, uh, right at the front door, or it was because of whatever I was doing just didn't allow you to carry it the way that I was like, no, I got to carry it this way. Exactly. And then, yeah. And then I, and then I became far more flexible. And now I just tell people like, look, there's really no right or wrong. It's whatever you train to, whatever you're proficient with. If, sure. if having it up your ass and you can still be a quick draw with that thing, great. But you have to train Ooh. pulling it out of your ass in a timely manner, sure. you know, in a so, timely manner. There you go. That is. Yeah. So what and it's kind of, you know, the, the same type of debate exists with the nonviolent posture. Right. People oh, yeah, will say yeah. nonviolent posture, both hands up negotiation style. That way I can strike somebody in the face. But as Tony Blower will tell you, is like, no, it could be thumbs in your pocket. But and I can strike you from my thumbs in my pant pockets. I can whip out and strike you in the nuts. No different than if I had my hands up and I strike you in the face. Right. So it's whatever you train to is, is what is right for you. (laughs) So, and the environment, of course, what you're wearing and, you know, time, we all know, you know, time of season can even change the dynamics. All of a sudden you got three layers on. Um, But yeah, man, I agree with everything you said. And that's, that was, that's what the beauty of these rapid fires is. We, Wow, it's another education system that's actually kind of entertaining and fun in the same time. But I appreciate you going through it. that with me. And yeah. obviously, you're a wealth of uh, knowledge. And uh, now we're going to dig in even deeper. So, oh, um, yay. Like every good seal, you've got is mm-hmm. this your first book or is this another book coming out? This is the second book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. But, like every yeah, seal, the, you've got a book. All right. I, but I can, I have ground to stand on. I wrote the first one, like almost 20 years ago. So, yeah. you know, there's been a good, good downtime between the first one and this one. And, and this one is, is all about concealed carry. It's just, yeah. you know, the, the subject matter that we've been talking about. It's all about my experience going all the way back into the Navy when the similar kind of setting, you know, like the ver- ver- <laughs> I remember first time that I had to carry in a low vis condition, you know, we didn't have gear. We didn't have holsters that really worked well like we do yeah. now, like people, I, I remind people, I'm like, listen, back in the day when I first started, like, I think I, the very first time I put a gun in my pants, uh, first of all, scared the crap out of me because everything at the time had been always in a thigh rig, you know, everything mm-hmm. we did with the handgun was always on the thigh rig. So when I got the the chance to go and do this and I went back to the armory and the guys were like, go back there and get your concealed carry load out. I'm like, cool, more gear. They looked at me like I was an idiot. Like, what are you talking about? And the chief tosses me this, he's like, I got him. He tosses me this, 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 this whole, I, I figured out it was a holster eventually, but I'm looking at it. Like, it's like this UFO object. I've never seen it before. I'm studying it and looking at it's it, trying to figure sock. out what the hell. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> what is this thing? Yeah. And, and I'm trying to put it on, on my belt line and I'm putting it on the outside of my pants and it just looked so retarded. Looking back at this, I'm like, my God, I just look like an idiot doing this. And the chief felt so bad. He's like, Hey man, it goes in your pants. I was like, <laughs> yeah. what? You want me to put this in my pants? Are you crazy? So that was like the very first exposure to it. And what I ended up doing was I took my my 226 
no holster because that holster he gave me was for a Beretta. That's how long ago this was. And yeah. I stuck that 226 in my waistband, no holster, in the appendix position without knowing a thing about what I was doing. You know, right. it was like an OJT from hell, like really had to try to learn as you yeah. go in a sense. So no doubt. I remember like the, really the only time a uniformed Navy seal is going to carry a gun concealed is when you were transporting ordnance. Remember that if you were driving <laughs> a truck that was the only time. or you're riding shotgun and in the back you exactly. had, you know, explosives or bullets, then yeah, any, you, that was yeah, like that driving that was from it. San Diego to like Nyland, you know, but yeah, that's your experience until, you know, then we professionalize obviously. And, and then uh, Kydex has just changed the world. Right. I mean, for sure. Crap. My God, yeah. man. What, a, and, yeah. and you know, people don't appreciate where we are right now, but I mean, thinking back to the day, you know, there was like maybe three or four holster manufacturers making like at the time there wasn't even a name for it. It was like the only people that were doing this were like detectives, yeah. you know, plain clothes detectives. So like, there weren't a lot of holster options for concealment back then because nobody was really concealing. And the only ones that were, were like, you know, police officers that were doing investigations that would go, yeah. you know, after the fact or stuff like that. And they would wear, you know, suit and tie or something to that effect. And that was concealed carry. So, right. you know, now like, geez, you can order, I tell people this all the time, like, you know, on day one of a class, if you don't like your holster, you can literally go on Amazon and have a holster delivered to your house, not in time for the class on Sunday, but you'll have it there when you get home. You know, right. so that's how, that's how instant yeah, gratification we are now as, as a society. It's like literally, <laughs> yeah. I can, I can send you the link to a holster on Amazon. You can purchase it and it'll be delivered, you know, to your door tomorrow or the next day or something like that. It's hilarious. Yeah. Love that we part. got off on a little bit of a tangent, but so. Oh, sorry, my bad. Yeah, no, it's okay. When is your uh, when is this book due out? I see in, sometime in the holidays, but do you have an exact? Yeah, date? so our we're right now. It's it's scheduled to be November the fifteenth. We might get November it out a little 15th. bit sooner. We might get it out a little bit sooner, but it's going to be in time for you know the holiday season, the craziness. Um, you know, it's uh, right now. The name of the book is called Concealed Carry Manual, and if folks want, they can go to concealedcarrymanual.com and learn all about it. You know, there's a bunch of blurbs on there, a bunch of information that they can get, and you know, we'll, uh, we'll keep people informed as best as we can. If we can get it out earlier, we will. But right now that's our target goal to have it on the, on the shelves by the 15th. Got it. Can they pre-order? Yeah. If they go to the, if they go to that website, uh, it'll have a link. They can go and actually get like a, uh, uh, like on the queue, if you will. So that as soon as we have them in stock, those are the first ones that go out the door. We will be right back after the break. Um, now switching gears a little bit to your career, you know, I like to always ask guys like, what was their, you know, this being, can you survive this podcast? We love yeah. tips, skills, gear that promotes, uh, survivability or, uh, you know, weird circumstances you may have found yourself. And was there like a standout time during your career where you're like, holy shit, that was about as fucked up as they come. <laughs> and you, <laughs> and then you had a lesson, some lessons learned that came out of it. I mean, <sighs> God, where do I begin, man? Jesus, yeah. so many mistakes, so many What's mistakes. What's the one, I mean, is there like one standout one? One that stands out to me, um, I, you know, that's, and that's a really good question. That really is. I think, you know, it. a lot of it would have to do with kind of like pride and ego, biting mm -hmm. off more than you can chew, you know? And um, we were we were rehearsing for an op 
that we never got tasked with, but we were you know close to it. And so this particular op was um, you know a hit on a target building, and the only avenue of approach that was reasonable was seaside approach up a cliff. So we had to like scale what I think was like a 60 to seven foot cliff in real life. And so as we started training for this, uh, they found us a similar kind of location to climb. And it was mm -hmm. on the waterline. It was not the same type of uh, terrain, but it, it was a cliff. Nonetheless, it was about 85 feet. And, you know, we, my platoon had a bunch of good lead climbers. I was one of them. And so we had a, we were going to be doing a three man team to get up there to try to kind of like set up so that we can then bring the helos in and all that other jazz. So um, we would send these three man teams up in intervals just to see who could do it the best. You know, it was, it was of course, what do you get, what do you get when you get a bunch of frogmen together? It's a race. So yeah, yeah. the um, you know, that we would launch one three man pair and then a few minutes later we'd launch another one. And it was all like, how well could they do this? And, and then you would get basically the, the A, B and C team, if you will. And so my team was the last team to go up and, you know, we, uh, we, we, we were getting the, just the crap beat up, you know, we were right on the waterline. So as the surges were coming in, they're just killing you, you know, you're getting slammed up against the rocks, you're holding on, your hands are getting shredded because of the, it was volcanic rock. And I remember like thinking, mm, this sucks, this is not going to be fun. And as we started climbing, things got a little bit easier. And I remember like the caving ladder was right there. And we had a yeah. caving ladder that the lead climber would go up and set. And as a team, as the as an element leader, I I was I didn't do the the lead climbing. I let the other guy do the lead climbing. So as we started to climb up, like I just got tired of waiting. And my corpsman got up on the ladder and he started climbing. And I was like, "Fuck it, I'm just gonna start climbing the rock myself. I'm a lead climber. I can do this shit." So I start scampering <laughs> up the rock instead of using the caving ladder to climb. I'm climbing up hand over hand. And um, I got to a height that was pretty, pretty decent height, would have definitely killed me if I'd fallen. And I remember the OIC leans out. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just fucking climbing. I want to get up to the top. Damn it, blah, 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 you know, <laughs> and he's like, well, is there anybody down there still? And I'm like, you know, like, well, you know, I passed Gary, my friend who was the corpsman climbing. He was climbing up the cave. I mean, it wasn't easy to climb up that caving ladder either. So it wasn't like no, that was no. a good deal, but at least you had decent handholds. And so I looked down and as I looked down to see Gary was kind of like just on the under kind of like just a small little overhang here and I couldn't really see him. So I remember I leaned away from the rock to see him. And just as I did, the handhold popped and it was a volcanic oh. rock. So once I leaned back, that one broke. And I remember literally looking at it, thinking to myself, that's not Oof. good. And about that time, the other one broke and I started falling and I fell all the way to the waterline well the funny part what i didn't tell people early on was when the surge was coming in it was like three to four feet of water but when uh -huh. the surge was out it was sand and as i uh -huh. fell i just so happened to fall at the right time when the surge came in and i hit the water so i didn't yeah. realize it at the time and when uh when we got done and we were debriefing i got my I mean, my, my chief just ran me up the pole big time, like, and, and rightfully so, because it was stupid. You know, I ran, I, I put at risk 
the mission, you know, if this had been real, everything, because, you know, like if I had died on the mission, it, you know, if, if luck hadn't been on my side and I hit the ground, there's no way I would have survived that fall, you know? So yeah, that was my, that was my pride, my ego talking. And that definitely, I mean, that was one of my, you know, we all have those seven lives. That was one, cashed it right then and there. And it was just <laughs> luck that I happened to fall in the water when the surge came in. So yeah, that cost me. So pride, man. It gets us yeah. in more trouble than than we we really probably should be allowed. That's right. for sure. Well, what I'm hearing is you're a Navy SEAL that wanted to get out of the water as soon as possible, which really is no different than the rest of us. <laughs> and I'm assuming the water was cold because it's well, cold we water. Were, we get we, we were, don't want no cold fucking I'll water, man. I'll let the imagination run wild. I'll let people think what they want to <laughs> yeah. think. Yeah. But we yeah. were the last team to climb up. Everybody else had already topped out. So we've been yeah. down in the elements for a while. So let the imagination Yeah, I know how that goes. Wild. It's like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. I don't give a shit. Well, and, and I mean, you know, it, you know, I was, I was, I think that was like my third platoon second or third platoon i can't remember and so like you know you're 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 in you feel invincible yeah you know you're like there's nothing i can't do i can do everything yeah. and you know that was a humble that was a big piece of humble pie that i had to kind of like it slowed me down for sure like after that i was like a little bit more cautious you know because when the gravity of what happened sunk in and i realized holy shit i could have died just then i mean we all come close to dying several times in our career but yeah that was really close. That was really yeah. close. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The surf zone. Poseidon was, was, was with you that day. Yep. Man, that's awesome. Well, yeah, that's good. And then, so let's talk about some of the gear. What were you wearing? Were you guys wetsuits climbing or were you just. No, we had camis on because, you know, we were supposed to go right, you know, the, the mission. Straight the into was, whatever. Yep. Pretty much yeah, right into you. there. We were going to lay up right here and, you know, we had overwatch and we were going to kind of call in the big guns to do the business and all that other fun stuff. So yeah, we were slick. And that was another thing too, because we were climbing. We didn't have, uh, like we had our rucks at the bottom of the caving ladder. So then we had to pull the rucks all the way up. So we climbed right, slick right. with just a, you know, like rifle slung and just a very, you Minimal. know, yeah. minimalist H gear of sorts, just enough. Cause I mean, you're wet. So you're carrying all that weight up the, up the, the cliff side. I mean, it was a great, you know, we, and we did everything. We tested it. You know, like we went out and we tested all our, like how much do we weigh when all our shit is wet? You know, things like, you know, like that, you don't really consider, you know, you're like, I'm a, I'm 165 pounds soaking wet at all my gear. I'm like 205 now. What the fuck? How'd yeah. that happen? You know? So, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, so it's like yeah. the only time I could claim to be 200 pound club when I had all my gear and I was wet. <laughs> that's awesome yeah and, I, and it's important you know for those listening you don't know what a caving ladder is um you know you're talking about a wire ladder that has these little itty bitty rungs you know that are uh spaced i think fairly apart you know good enough yeah. to where you can always have a foothold a handhold but there's only enough room for a foot or a hand on each rung that's it and it's all about your legs 
most people, it takes new guys a long time to figure that out. They want to muscle their way up and they find out very sure. quickly that you can't just muscle your way up a caving ladder. You got to get your feet in the rungs. You got to let your feet do the work. Your legs do the work. And, uh, so true. Man. Anyway, you can Google caving ladder and you see pictures of these <laughs> damn things. And, uh, and it's also important to note they are a one way ladder. Like if, if you've ever tried to come down a caving ladder, it doesn't work it out the same as going up. People. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, that's, that's actually entertaining to watch. If you want to, yeah. if you want to watch something fun, you know, like, like I remember when the boat guys were trying to decide, should we fast rope into the boats or should we try to climb down? I'm like, dude, you just want to fast rope down. It's yeah. not going to be pretty if you try to do the caving ladders things. It's That's not. right. <laughs> and a suspended look. caving ladder climb is even more fun to Worse. watch. Worse. Right? Oh my that's God. That's like when you're doing go plats, right? Yeah. Holy shit. Um, now good that's times. good. I man. love that's, that shit. <clears throat> that's a great story. Um, so, you know, you've got, you've been doing a lot of, uh, tell us about the range there in Austin. I think that's important. You're kind of running the show there. I see all your videos and sure. great education. So, yeah. Absolutely. Well, first of all, the range is here in Austin, Texas. It's uh, it's on the south side of the, of the downtown area. It's a great facility. Um, it's called the range, just so people the range Austin. We're just yeah. talking about a range. Yeah, it's, the range. It's hilarious. <laughs> you know, we were very clever with the name there, the brand. It was yeah. awesome. The range, Austin. But um, <laughs> you know, and it's been it's been a great experience for me. You know, we had some changes last year with the pandemic. One of the problems that we ran into was trying to uh, keep the training department open when, when we were in those forced lockdowns, we just couldn't do it. So uh, what we ended up doing, we ended up closing down the training department. And now all I do is I'll, I'll do advanced training there. So I'll come in and do some training periodically, like usually like once every quarter, we'll do a class there. But um, the facility is just a, it's a great facility. And, you know, it was something that here in Austin, Austin is a destination city, meaning that People come from all over. You know, you've got the Circuit of the Americas. You've got all the music. You've got the entire music scene. Uh, you know, you've got so much to do here. you got all the, you know, downtown 6th Street and all the fun stuff that happens there. So, you know, we it's are cool like, yeah. it is. It, it really it's is. Cool you know, town. I mean, it's gotten a lot better recently. Like within the last six months, there's been some big changes happening. So that's good. But, you know, we're, we're like 15 minutes from the airport. We're 10 minutes from downtown. Uh, you know, like. When I think about like as an advanced guy, if I'm looking at a place to take a platoon to go and have a good time, you know, that's those are things that you look at. Okay, well, here's here's my AO where we're working. Where's the liberty at? How can I get, you know, and I mean, just you go downtown and you've got like anything and everything that you could possibly want. So it's been fun. Um, One of the things that I try to explain to people is like, okay, so, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and definitely, you know, cut my teeth long time ago. And what I try to get across to people is particularly folks like that have been in the business as long as I have, you know, our, our focus has largely been at like the, um, like the, the assaulters, the operators, you know, law enforcement, SWAT teams. And the, the only thing that's bad about that is that you, you get kind of pigeonholed into a stereotype that you can't teach at the basic level, the beginner yeah. level. And so one of the things that I try to tell guys that are kind of like in the kind of like a similar situation to me is you need to get back to that. You need to get like, like the access to information at that level is not as good as people think. And what I mean by that is when I'm comparing somebody that's been doing this, you know, like any of the other guys that I saw this past weekend, these guys are all pros. And the problem is, is that we're so focused on working with kind of like the top part of that pyramid 
that that a lot of times those folks that are down there at the bottom are are getting the same access to the talent and the experience and you know all of the things that what make us appealing to these units to go and train with and so i try to get people to go out and do these classes and engage with these beginner new shooters because you know i want to put my thoroughbred racehorse on the track and have him run i don't want to put somebody i don't want this first because a lot of times especially in the pandemic these people that purchased guns it was a major life decision for them it wasn't easy and what i want is again that kind of like welcoming aspect for them to come and educate and train and learn a little bit more so if i if i can put a thoroughbred racehorse at you know on the track for them to kind of marry up with it means that their experience is probably going to be a positive one they'll have a positive experience that will then hopefully encourage them to keep wanting to come out and train or learn or or enjoy the activity of shooting as a sport whatever the case might be so um you know that's what i feel yeah. we really did well there at the range was we really opened the doors up to those types of individuals like you know the staff that we had are all great guys we had a we had a few team guys some sf guys a um, bunch of law enforcement guys and you know our mandate was make them feel comfortable welcomed and encouraged to keep training even if they didn't even if they didn't have a positive outcome as long as they had a positive experience that was a win and so i was kind of happy about that you know now that um back in this new kind of like career path which is just a little bit different you know i do miss doing all those basic and beginner level classes it was it was fun it was challenging but you also knew that you were making an impressionable impact in that new shooter if you did your job right that was going to travel with them for the rest of their life their, yeah. that experience that experience was going to mean something to them so right that's my I two think, cents uh, on that. yeah i like it i think it applies to us you know whether it's ross sanders or uh you mm -hmm. know a, a, a jerry burner you know kind of guy um then what they say to you when you're a new guy uh, it lasts forever you remember For sure. those things you know and oh yeah uh yeah and i think you're yeah, I agree. And I also think too, you know, you mentioned the word basic, basic, basic a lot. And I think people forget that really our job with any skill out there is, uh, you master the basics, then you will become advanced. It's not about showing up and learning some Jedi stuff. There are, there is no Jedi stuff. It doesn't no. exist. It's so mastering the basics is what makes you a Jedi, right? Man, I love that. That is perfect. That is, that is exactly the key. Like I tell, like I told people this for years, if you, you know, the secret to winning is simple. Master the fundamentals and then execute them faster than the bad guy. Yeah. That's it. That's right. all it takes, you know. And and you know, there's a there's sometimes people lose sight of that because, you know, in today's in today's world, you know, technology is pervasive. You know, it's like boom, shoved down your throat. So you see, you know, and let's let's be honest, sex sells. So you see something sexy on an Instagram video of some sort, some guy doing some hondo rolls and you know, coming up and whatever, you know, and he's got all this cool guy gear. Unfortunately, yeah. people are, you know, that's entertaining. And and, yeah. and I'm not dissing it to what I'm saying by that is you got to make sure that that what what you're looking at matches what you need, because there's the needs and the wants. I might want to go to a fantasy tactical camp and learn all that cool guy stuff. But do I really need to or would I be yeah. better served? doing something more constructive with my time, talent, and treasure. And that's what I try to get across. You know, it's hard because marketing has gotten so good that, you know, you can, 
I mean, I, we've all been swindled before, you know, I've, I've been swindled, <laughs> yeah. you know, I've had, I've had, I've, I've been, you know, suspect to the snake oil salesman many times. So, um, you know, I feel for people that are trying to get in here and trying to find good quality education in, in this in this world right now. It's it's tough. And it doesn't matter the industry because we're all we're all in it kind of with that uh, social media and whatnot. But hopefully, yeah. people can start to to get good good. You know, like I always try to tell people, like you may want that, but do you need that? Mm-hmm. And once you get your needs met, go out and have fun with your wants, but yeah. work on the needs first. Yeah, I like that. I like it. It's good stuff, man. You're listening to Can You Survive This Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and share on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. Obviously, you are a wealth of knowledge, especially when it comes to this shooting world. And uh, obviously, your your name and reputation is... Uh, credible and confirmed even as you articulate your well self so well um we could probably go on and on but uh sure i am going to go ahead and throw you into this hypothetical survival scenario so are you ready mr jeff gonzalez ready okay so here we go i think they put some theme music to this too whenever they edit it so you'll love it um Ooh, right what would on. be your, what what would be your theme song, Jeff? If 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 explosions were behind you and you're dressed like John Wick, what would what song would be playing in your head? Fuck, oh, man, it would probably <laughs> be like a like I grew up watching wrestling, so it would have to be like a Leonard Skinner song of some sort, you know? Like <laughs> yeah. it would have to be, you know? Like just thinking about all those wrestlers that would walk out with that those songs, like oh my god, Freebird would probably be a good one. It's hard to go wrong yeah. with that one as a walk on song. Yeah, that's either that or ACDC. Either that or ACDC, yeah. something like ACDC. ACDC. That'd be a good one yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, I would throw in the theme song of the Fall Guy. That'd be mine. <gasps> yes. Oh my God! Yes. <laughs> yeah. What a great show. Oh yeah. my God! What a great show. I love that show. All right, getting tangents go. again. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Your uh, scenario. Okay, just keep in mind. Um, talk through your answers if you want. It's all good. I'm going to give you choices. The only right ones are the ones on my piece of paper here. <laughs> so uh, we'll have fun with this. But this is just so listeners get to hear you think it through, your answers, yeah. our, our, our banter, and hopefully they, they walk away with some, some skills that uh, would help them if they found themselves in some tragic situation. So here we go. Um, right. You have been flown to a foreign country to speak at a conference about concealed carry because you are the expert. And this... Uh, this could be really any country, um, but countries that are a lot like us as far as mindset, maybe something like Australia. Uh, they've got a, they've got vast lands. They've got metropolitan areas. Mm-hmm. They've got uh, obviously some place like Australia has every single dangerous animal, bug, oh, fish, you jellyfish, shark. Yeah, they've got it all, man. Yeah. <laughs> so let's just say you're there, and. Um, okay. And upon arrival into the country, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do quarantine. I think we've seen it in the news. Australia's got a pretty tight uh, 14 day mandate. The country is, uh, you know, their, uh, let's say their patience is wearing out, right? Mm-hmm. There's a moderate civil unrest. Uh, but upon your arrival, everything seems pretty, pretty, pretty safe and sound, you know, no big deal. Um, okay. You arrive at your hotel, you check in. First question, do you 
just check in normally and wait for them to give you your keys and or your uh, card for your room or B request a hotel map kind of like a floor diagram and try and pick your room so I pick my rooms and um, like I'm pretty lucky you know I've, I've been traveling for so many years that uh, you know there's the hotel chains that I typically stay with allow me to check in online and use a digital key that I can just use my phone to open the door. So I don't even have to go to the front desk anymore. Yeah. So I will examine the layout of the, of the, of the building complex and, you know, for, from a safety point of view, but also an efficiency, like I try to avoid, you know, the common areas and stuff like that. I try to, cause usually they're loud and a lot of people there. And I, you know, I need generally when I get to the hotel, I want to do is lay down and sleep. I don't want to do anything other than, than that. So I definitely will take a, a decent, kind of like recce examination of the of the layout and look for you know where's good parking so i can park my vehicle and have easy access into a side door that allows me to get to my my room i typically try to avoid the first floor but i try not to go higher up than the third floor so i the second floor is my sweet spot you know if i had yeah. to escape out the window i could I could probably suffer a pretty decent fall and get out okay. You know, most of the most most hotels have hedgeways around their hotel floors area, so it's a little bit of a soft landing. So if I had to escape out for whatever reason, fire. You know, I've been in several hotels that have actually caught on fire. I shouldn't say several too. And um, so you know, having to get out through the fire escapes and stuff like that is something that I've I've done. And then you know, just having an understanding, you know, like. Um, if you are in, in, in a hotel and it does catch fire, it's pretty chaotic and pretty confusing. And, you know, if, if the power's out or if the emergency lights are barely visible through the smoke and whatnot, knowing the layout of the, of the floor plan so that you can try to escape safely will go a long ways when, you know, doing your homework, in other words, will go a long ways to ensuring your survival. Yeah. Yeah, I gotcha. I like it. Um, those are all great points that uh, I was going to make anyway, but you made it easy for me. So good job there. <laughs> the answer Foils is again. B. Yes, you know, if uh, request a hotel map and get the layout and uh, make sure that you know the one thing I throw in there. This really, I mean, it applies to males, but I'd say mostly females is you know understanding where those stairwells are in the elevator and making sure you're not too close to either one. Like I like to tell people, hey, pick if you can pick a room that's in the middle, right? It's equal distance to the elevator or to the stairwell, then great. But one that's right by the stairwells, you know, a lot of these guys will pull a chick in there by her, you know, her ponytail and close the door and nobody will ever know. Um, but you sure. made all the other great points, man. Great points. Obviously experienced traveler. Um, <laughs> so you, uh, you see the room you've been given and, uh, it's pretty far away or it's pretty far from all the elevators and stairwells and, uh, you know, you don't, you know, you, you check in virtually is what I understand. That's what you do. Yeah. But for the scenario, you, they sure. give you a room and you notice that it's not great. You've already answered this question. So do you, A, look over the map and, and uh, you know, just go to the room they gave you or just request a different room, which you did request a different room. So yeah. you just answered, uh, yeah, two questions with, uh, you know, one answer. Good job. Um, You're welcome. All right. So now you you finally get to the room that you picked and mm -hmm. you turn on the TV, you're kind of catching up on local media news and what's going on around you. And mm -hmm. on the TV, you notice that there is uh, 
that there's a mob. Uh, there's there's some protests going on. There's definitely some unrest in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you're like, hmm, this kind of like, I don't even know where this is at, right? You kind of, mm-hmm. so you go down to the lobby, you notice, you know, also there the news is playing. People are watching, especially the employees, and they see that, and, you know, so you ask one of them, like, hey, so where, where is this going on at? And they're like, uh, right nearby, right? Oh, wow, I mean, yeah. So you got this mob and a security guard in the hotel goes ahead and makes an announcement. You know, that's how serious it is that, hey, you know, you need to steer clear, right? Uh, we've got a mob heading our way. They're all upset. Mm-hmm. Um, you look outside, you see a rowdy mob now, and it's heading towards the hotel. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden a Molotov cocktail boom, mm. crashes right in front of the entrance of the hotel, a little fiery mess in front of you. So do you A exit through the back of the hotel and get away from the building or B go back to your room and lock yourself inside. Wow. That's a good scenario there. Um, I think it would, I think a lot of it would depend on and I know this is difficult, but like what I'm seeing, like I obviously see the Molotov cocktail thrown out there. Uh, am I seeing the protesters, you know, like pushing, like, pushing into the you know the the actual facility itself are they moving into the facility if they were moving into the facility i would more than likely beat feet to the back door to my vehicle yeah. and 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 leave if they were if the malta cocktail was uh you know not intended for our facility if the mob and protest you know is kind of still lingering there but they're not in you know they're not pressing the issue i guess the bottom line is is the facility compromised? If the facility is yeah. compromised, then I'm going to be feet away from it, and I'll go to some other secondary, you know, location. Um, and if not, I'll probably kind of hold fast until I feel like, okay, now the facility is compromised, and and then try to beat feet at that point. So, um, you know, if, if I feel like it's if it's if I feel like it's that bad that it's compromised, yeah, just we'll have to leave all of our gear in the hotel room and just. You know, get out as quickly as we can. Get away from the you know, mobs or bad. You know, definitely don't want to find yourself in the middle of a mob, much less the focus of a mob. That's right. That's right. So yeah, you you ended up yeah a you ended up answering it correctly. Exit through the back doors of the hotel and get away from the building as soon as possible. You know, and um, you know it, it's you already talked through, but you know you don't want to one get trapped in a in a place that's on fire. So Molotov cocktails are already being thrown. You're seeing that Um, going back up doesn't really make sense because then you lose that situational awareness on what's going on below you. And a fire Mm -hmm. below you is never a good idea when you're in a Mm multi-story building. (laughs) So you may end up screwing yourself on uh, exiting when you've got the opportunity. And bottom line is when you have the opportunity to get off the X, get off the X. You can always come back. You can be wrong and come back. You for know, sure, but you and I'll uh, tell you what: be, be, being mobile, being in your vehicle, getting getting into a vehicle, and being mobile during the protest or mob is—it's a pretty good tactic to kind of help keep distance between you and them, a terrain yeah. feature at least. You know, right, keeping right. a terrain feature between you and the and the hot spot, if you will. Yes, I agree. And and what we learned in like you know different mount situation, urban training, you know, it's like. You know, even when you break contact, you get buildings between you and the contact. Exactly. Right? So exactly. Same kind of philosophy with social unrest. All right. 
After getting several blocks okay. away from the hotel, you come across a pretty isolated park. Remember, you're in like, let's say Australia, where you're on the outskirts of town and all of a sudden it's mm -hmm. just vast. It could be crazy. Uh, mm -hmm. So this isolated park, there's, there's a building uh, that appears to be vacant and it's and beyond that is like straight up wilderness right so okay. you hear the sounds of the mob coming your way all right so do you a go deeper into the wilderness with all those scary animals or b mm. use the vacant building as a temporary shelter and concealment from the mob well you know so the the way i look at that is there's two there's two unknowns the, the front, you know, the, the wilderness is an unknown. I mean, I could walk into freaking alligator pit uh, or, you know, God only knows what other crazy critters are out there. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that's that's a little bit more uncontrollable in a sense. Like I can't necessarily control the wilderness as much, even though it would offer me good concealment. And even though I probably would, I, I probably could bet that pursuit by the mob would be limited simply because they they live there. They know how dangerous the wilderness is. They're probably not going to pursue me into the wilderness. So I would, th there's a temptation to want to go into that wilderness. But if they didn't see me move into the building and I could, I could shelter in place in the building in an area that gives me a good vantage point of their approach, or maybe I can see kind of like what's happening in a broad scope, I can kind of see, because I also would, I, I, if, I'm, if you're going to go into the wilderness, what are you going to do once you get there? How long are you going to stay? What's your, yeah, what's your plan? Exactly. How are you going to, how are you going to get back to civilization? Because if you just kind of start moving down there, yeah, what's your plan at that point? So mm -hmm. I would feel a little bit more comfortable sheltering in place in the abandoned building if I could find a good vantage point that allows me to kind of see what's happening in front with, you know, still the opportunity should it arise of, beaten feet in the wilderness if, if it got down to it if you know if they start yeah. start if the building if that abandoned building gets compromised and now i really have to beat feet well i'm gonna run into the wilderness and play the odds hopefully they won't chase me <laughs> and hopefully i won't get stung by some like three colored freaking you know eight-legged venom spitting crazy creature of some sort <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, kangaroos will kick your ass. I mean, I damn know. straight. Yeah, I wouldn't want to run into a kangaroo. Yeah, you know? I heard. Um, I heard this story. I'm sorry, I have to bring this up. I heard this story that if you ever see a kangaroo in a body of water, and it looks very docile, never go in after it. Apparently, that's like a <laughs> that's like a, a trap. Like they'll they'll pull you in and drown you apparently like that's a thing <laughs> I, I don't know if that's true they, but if i'm in australia i don't know but if i'm in australia and i see a kangaroo i'm gonna give it wide berth even if it's in water and looks cute wide berth buddy yeah. you got it yeah yeah good luck i'm not well yeah. i'm not into like you see any animal out there like maybe a dog i'd save uh but after that, I, yeah, I'm not saving anything. I don't really give a shit. <laughs> I don't know if that oh, makes true. me inhumane or what, but yeah. No, it just makes um, you probably a survivor. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Yes, you are correct. B, you use the vacant building as a temporary shelter and conceal from the mob. Plus it's closer, right? I mean, if you got, yeah. if it's, if it's, you know, half the distance than the wilderness behind it, it's in the mm -hmm. foreground. Like, sure, why not use it, whether it's temporary or, or not, you're going to go to that first, right? It just makes common sense. Um, you get inside the building and, you know, it's never easy, right? It's never easy. Mm -hmm. You encounter a guy who appears to be completely high out of his mind. Mm -hmm. And he, as soon as you enter the building, he charges you, okay? Oof. So... Do you a 
face him head on, kind of pivot right, throw an elbow and knock his ass out, or B, run right out back the same door you came in. Hmm. Yeah. Well, run out the door I came in, in the direction of the mob, or manage <laughs> yes. the single contact, manage the single contact go. that I have to deal with. I'm going to play the odds with a single contact and I'm going to take my chances with one person versus a mob. You know, maybe I can try to de-escalate the situation. Maybe I can try to, you know, calm him down. Uh, you know, if that doesn't work, you know, then the bob, the weave and getting downright physical would probably be my better choice than trying to play the odds that I would have equal chance against multiple opponents in a mob. Yes. That, that would definitely be bad. Yeah, your tactical decision-making is strong today, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, A, yes. you face him head-on, you swivel, you, you juke left, go right, elbow him, and knock his ass out. Good job, Navy Seal. Perfect, perfect, perfect. All right, so uh, you strike for the knockout, and uh, you knock the junkie out cold. Next, do you A, hunker down in the building and wait for the mob to pass, or B, Take the opportunity to pat down this junkie because uh, he may have something on him that could be uh, useful. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, if if he came at me in a threatening manner, I would certainly give him a cursory pat down, primarily just to look for weapons. You know, I don't want him to wake up and come at me with, the, you know, now he's now he's super pissed off and he breaks out a weapon. Maybe he didn't go for the weapon at first. Maybe he was just trying to scare me off, but after getting tuned up, he's probably a little agitated with me. So I'll probably pat him down for weapons and I'll look for, you know, any other, you know, if I'm kind of on this, at this point, you know, I've kind of gone into a and e mode. And so I'm yeah. going to be trying to, I'm going to be trying to like survey and acquire any equipment that will help me to improve the odds of my survival so if he's got a cell phone on him or if he's got cash or if he's got i don't know a, a map to the the treasure across the way for sure you know i'll take all that stuff and <laughs> yeah. you know we'll, we'll, we'll play with yeah. it and see what we can come up with um but i also just want to make sure that if he does come to that i i don't have to deal with any any weapons or any kind of other any anything else of that nature so yeah that's probably yes. how i deal with that Good job, man. Yeah, B, you're going to pat him down and check him for what he's got. And you're lucky because you find a set of car keys in his pocket. Ooh. And uh, you'll hang on to those, of course. Okay. Um, and you can see a crappy old Honda out back that, the, uh, that this car belongs to. Hmm. So suddenly a Molotov cocktail comes flying through the window, right, just as you find the keys. And the nice. mob wants to burn this what perceive what they think is just an empty building they probably figure well hell let's light it on fire because why for not? sure you know yeah and uh so do you a run out of the building and sprint straight towards the honda or b you may add a little zigzag to your run and uh, keep your head low uh and escape towards the vehicle i if the, the so the vehicle's in the back behind the building yeah, you can okay. see it. You can run to it. It's just really a matter yeah. of you beelining it or you kind of 
being a little smarter about how you I, I'm going to probably I'm going to probably approach it a little bit more cautiously instead of going for a straight B line. I might try to, you know, take a couple of zigs and zags, just see what else I can see. Maybe, you know, maybe as I'm approaching the view, I don't know how far it's away, but if it's, if it's, you know, if it's a good distance away, I probably don't want to go for a straight B line. I might try to cut and bob and weave just so I can get better angle on what I'm running into and seeing, yeah. you know, as soon as I start to clear the building, you know, now I'm, exposing myself to whoever could possibly be you know outside the building seeing me so you know if i can find a more discreet approach then i will so if not i'll zigzag and i guess last case if i'm being chased i'll run straight for it yeah there you go it's uh you're right it, you want to zigzag you want to uh, look for cover and concealment i think people that get into yeah. really scary situations and fear takes over panic yeah, kicks yeah. in mm -hmm. they tend to think oh i just got to run to the finish line when the reality yeah, yeah. is you know between you and the finish line could be a lot of stuff you could resource exactly to protect yourself hide yourself and you should look for those items Absolutely. and zigzag with you know you and i both know the zigzag was it's always been there, right? If you're running yeah. from building to building in oh, yeah. Iraq, you know, <laughs> you're just, for sure. you know, now I know you and I both know plenty of snipers where you can zigzag all day and he's still going to put that bullet in your back. For sure. Uh, but when you're talking about a novice dude with an AK-47, then, uh, for sure. you know, it's zigzag can help because it's forcing the shooter to change windage, elevation, all at the same time. And so uh, you want them to be inaccurate and you want to make it hard on them. You want to be a hard, hard target. Okay. Damn straight. Good job. Buddy. Hard target. Good job. Um, so you zigzag. Uh, and just in case shots are fired, you get to the Honda. Luckily, the key works. Okay. You, good, good. Uh, you get it out on the road and uh, you get out of Dodge. When okay. the mob forms a human block ahead mm. right there's this mm -hmm. human barricade in front of you okay sure do you a floor it plow through it or b slow to a stop at least 20 feet away or more uh from the mob and kind of uh take a moment and assess um i i probably i would probably kind of I would, I would approach i would approach it and assess and yeah. what I'm what I'm specifically looking for is what are they going to do? Uh, are they going to let me through? Maybe they realize that they don't have a beef with me and they're just going to let me through. Um, what I'm hoping for is that they start to approach the vehicle because if they start to approach the vehicle, they'll break their line. And then at that point, uh, I have you know gross tonnage on on my side. Once they break their line, you know if they're in a human interchange, you know they're they're about ready to walk into the surf, all interlocked and whatnot. Um, I'll wait for them to break that and start to approach the vehicle. And then as soon as they start to get close to the vehicle, you know, I, I always encourage self-preservation on everybody's yeah, side. So course. when you see a thousand, you know, 3000 pound vehicle approaching you, even at 10 miles an hour, you might want to move, you might yeah. consider self-preservation at that point. And I think right. most of these people would probably think that, I mean, there's some brazen folks that are like, go ahead, go ahead. I'm like, Buddy, if it's between you and me getting home to my family, I will run you over, back up, run you over again, back up, run you over one more time. <laughs> Just I saying. like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you are, you're spot on, as, uh, of course, you are uh, dead on. You, you want to at least slow down. You kind of want to assess. Plus, you know, vehicular manslaughter in a foreign yeah. country is always a bad idea. Um, For sure. You know, self-defense, yes, but, you know, I think the end state is, hey, if there's other options... We should always look for the other. I options. agree. I agree. Yeah. I yeah. agree. 
And plus, your car happens to be uh, painted, with, and it says Australian Government Mandatory Vaccine Enforcer written on the side of it. <laughs> yeah, <kidding>. buddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh. there does, yeah. I don't think there's a bigger target that you could put on the back at that point. That's it, yeah. man. Yeah, I'm not sure what this mob's mad about, but if you watch the news right now, that might be what it is. I don't know. Um, Good to know. Okay. So you got you decide, hey, you stopped ahead of the human roadblock, and now mm-hmm. uh, a you you see a curb and you can go around. So you floor it. A do you floor it and go around the curb, around the people, up onto a curb and around the people. It's probably a better mm-hmm. way to describe it. B okay, okay. or just put the car in reverse and, ex- and execute a, a good old fashioned reverse one eighty and go the other way. Don't G turn. Ah, man, you know, without knowing what's behind me, I'm somewhat, I'm, I'm almost like, I would almost say that inside of a vehicle, I stand a better chance moving away from them than even trying yeah. to pop the curb and run, uh, run up on the curb. I mean, if I get stuck and a Honda doesn't have a lot of clearance to pop over a curb, even though I should be able to do it, you know, I don't know how high these curbs are. They could be a lot higher than I might like. So I would probably... And, and, and in all honesty, you never get that. You don't have that many opportunities to pull a J hook, you know, J turn. So I would probably <laughs> take the opportunity at that point to go ahead and floor it, get that thing spun around and try to move into um, move away, move away from yeah. that. If that's a known threat, I'll try to move away. Use the vehicle as a as a force multiplier to get away. from them. I got gotcha. you. Yep. And you are correct. You know, you put the car in reverse and execute that 180 and get the hell out of there. And you bring up a good point. Vehicle survivability in these situations becomes the most important. You don't want to just hell pop yeah, a tire man. on a curb when you could have just gone the other way and kept your car exactly. intact, right? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> and performing a 180, it's it's really not that difficult. You know, it gives, no. uh, when, you know, I don't know if you got to go through any of the driving schools. ITI was really popular. O'Neill became kind of like the go-to. And there's others that, whether mm-hmm. it was high performance or, you know, rally, you know, different surfaces, you know, I, I, I ended up going to all of them, like almost nice. it seemed like every, every year once I was on the East coast. Um, but you know, re- doing these one eighties and J turns and stuff, they are without a doubt, a tool, a great yeah. tool and being comfortable with your vehicle is without a doubt, a life-saving skill. And, um, doing these skills, you know, they're very Hollywood, but the reality is, is by doing them, you learn what your vehicle can do and what it can't do. And uh, for that's sure, really man, the, that's really the key. If you, if you guys decide to get out to a big open parking lot, start doing J turns and, uh, you know, reverse one eighties and stuff like that. Uh, we did not know, tell number, you to do that. We didn't tell you to do it, but, uh, yeah, make sure your, your tires are, uh, about five PSI over max. Okay. You want the, you don't want those tires to roll or you'll end up in that big parking lot with flat tires. Um, you know, make sure you got your seatbelt on because seatbelts is what engages airbags. Okay. Now in my world, you didn't wear them because I didn't want the airbag to go off. If the airbag goes off in the middle of, uh, uh, you know, a car chase or whatever, then it disables the vehicle. Right. So now you're totally screwed. You got to go get a whole new vehicle. So anyway, um, all right. So you pull a perfect reverse 180, and, uh, uh, when you, you get the rotation, you accelerate away, and then um, several buildings, including your hotel, are now on fire. So luckily you got out of there. 
The mob is in your rearview mirror. All right. So things are looking good. You pass a small airstrip that has not yet been destroyed. Okay. So do you a pull over, go ahead and pick those uh, wafer locks that they have on the Cessna, you know, uh, (laughs) little 172s Mm. and fly away uh, or B get on the highway and drive to the U S embassy. I would probably, I would, I would, that, that one is actually not that hard because if you put the U.S. embassy in the equation, I'm going to say move to the embassy. The embassy is your safe haven. That is where you can, that is where you can finally take a breath and relax. And actually, once you get inside safe haven, I mean, you, you know, you've got everything at your disposal at that point, you know, as an American citizen, what I, I think a lot of people don't realize they don't value is when they travel. Um, not knowing where your embassies are, not knowing how to get to even a consulate, not knowing where the consulates are, not knowing how to get there, uh, you know, in dire straits. So even though I would like to fly, Australia is a big ass continent and that little Cessna (laughs) isn't going to get me very far, you know, so I'm going to just keep, I'm going to keep the goodwill rolling with this Honda, keep that goodwill rolling and get right to the embassy as quick as I can. I agree. Yep. Yep. Go to the embassy. And plus, you have to know how to fly a plane in order to uh, fly the plane. Yeah. So, uh, good point. Uh, yeah. Go to the embassy. Stick with what you got. I like that answer. Yeah. And, uh, dude, yeah, you got, uh, you definitely reasoned your way 10 out of 10, and you have survived this podcast. Good job, Jeff Gonzalez. Maybe see you. Yes. Oh, hey, puppy. You Author give me of five? Conceal Carry Manual. Uh, so yeah, we'll be, uh, where can people, I, I really do, you know, let me start over. I appreciate you coming on the show and, yeah. uh, man, it was a, it was a good time. You're obviously a wealth of knowledge. Where can people find out more about you and everything you got going on? So the easiest thing to do is send them to the website, uh, tridentconcepts.com for all of the training side and then concealedcarriedmanual.com, uh, uh, for that. I'm on all the social media platforms. And I have those links on our website because I can't remember all the appropriate call signs for each of them. <laughs> yeah. So gotcha. uh, that's the easiest. It's easy in today's world to send people to the website and then they can click on the little Facebook icon or Instagram icon. And we're on all of them, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. So definitely come yeah. join us and, and all of my, my fun and debauchery that I like to try to maintain. Yes. All right. Well, there you go, everyone. Jeff Gonzalez, you can Google that or search it uh, on any of your social media platforms, Trident Concepts or Conceal Carry Manual. So there you go. There's lots of ways to find him, uh, get in touch with him. And uh, I would say go get some training from him and his team. Um, And like I always say, keep it simple because crisis will complicate the rest. And until next time, be safe out there. Can You Survive This Podcast is a production of Calvary Audio and iHeartMedia. Recorded live from a secure location here in Dallas, Texas. Produced by Brandon Morgan, Jeff Apple, and Clint Emerson. Executive produced by Keegan Rosenberger and Dana Brunetti. For Calvary Audio, I'm Clint Emerson. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. 
Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs>